Welcome to the Azure Security Podcast, where we discuss topics relating to security, privacy, reliability, and compliance on the Microsoft Cloud Platform. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 62. Uh, this week, we actually have a full cast with the, the whole gang here. We have myself, Michael, Sarah, Gladys, and Mark. We also have a guest, Josh, who is here to talk to us about Microsoft Defender for Endpoint uh, in terms of resiliency. But before we get to our guest, let's just take a little lap around the news. Uh, Mark, why don't you kick things off? Yeah, one of the things that um, has been very much top of mind for me lately is um, patching. So, um, you know, folks are probably familiar um, with the CISO workshop that we just released, and we're you know continuing on with those architecture design session um, elements. And one of the the topics for the end end security one that's coming up next is, um, you know. Basically, patching and backup, and you know, security hygiene sort of things. Um, in addition to, of course, you know, all the different technical initiatives. And it was really interesting as we kind of kicked this over and started digging into it to understand it a little bit better. It ended up being the, the the problems that lead to the patching problems. You know, the root cause is really around how organizations look at IT and security in general, and they seem to have this underlying assumption that magically. IT doesn't require maintenance or updates, you know, and it's something. This is often an implicit assumption; it's not always explicit. But um, it was sort of an interesting realization that you know the reason why we're suffering from this is because there's no budget and money to maintain it. You look at a fleet of trucks or a fleet of planes, you know, you're not going to be nobody's going to want to fly in like a 1962 something or other or deliver, uh, you know, uh, you know, you know, for their flight, and nobody's going to want to, you know, deliver their their goods in a 1928 AA Ford truck, um, but yet we're doing that with our software and you know it was built for the time you know which could be the 80s or the 90s or sometimes even before and you know we, we, we do that with technology and that's sort of why we are in this problem now is you know essentially all these apps and whatnot or um, and systems are basically orphans in the in the large IT ops orphanage and so it's really been interesting to sort of dig into that and understand it and then figure out, okay, how do we fix this at scale? And so that's, uh, that's something I've been working on a lot. Um, I'll, I'll put a link um, in, the, in the show notes to, uh, to some of the tweets where I'm sharing some of the material as, as we develop it. Um, but it's been a really interesting set of realizations. And so that's really been kind of consuming my mind to try and you know, figure out this, uh, this problem and, and what to do about it. Okay, so I have just one thing to talk about today, which is uh, the public preview um, in AKS or Azure Kubernetes service for uh, something called Operation Abort. So, uh, like the name suggests, it's uh, something that allows you to abort something that's going on in your cluster or agent pool during the middle of the operation. Now, unsurprisingly, that isn't going to gracefully end your operation. It's going to stop uh, whatever it was doing at the time that you you ran uh, the abort command. But if you need to do that because, you know, mistakes get made, it is something that you can do. This is really kind of like a backup uh, worst case scenario thing, but something people have been asking for. So now you can do it if you need to. So that's pretty sweet. Is that like a kind of a break glass thing? Like something catastrophic's happened, so we need to just bring this thing to a halt now? Pretty much. Cool. So um, from my point of view, um, um, I've been playing uh, with Cusco uh, query language. 
not working all the time in uh, hunting, right? And uh, what I have found myself is that every so often I, I need to go into the advanced hunting of Microsoft 365 and I learn uh, KQL, uh, again, custo query language. I use it, I learn it really good, and then I don't use it anymore. I, I forget it. Uh, so Actually, I got really excited when I heard about Microsoft Defender Guided Mode, which uh, is now going in public preview. Uh, this is a friendly way uh, for analysts uh, to query uh, the database for endpoint, identity, email, collaboration, and cloud apps, actually, um, without knowing custom uh, query language. Uh, basically, you're using building blocks style of construction query uh, through drop-down menu, uh, containing available filters and conditions. So um, I, I have included a video, a short video uh, that they have on how to do this uh, as part of our website. The other thing is um, there's a Microsoft Defender Expert for hunting, uh, which is now uh, general available. Uh, this is a way for uh, defender experts uh, for hunting, and I'm talking about our Microsoft experts, uh, hunting uh, and helping investigate anything they find uh, in, in a customer uh, type of environment. And then the hand of uh, the um, contextual alerts information along with the remediation instruction to the customer. So it's a quick a way uh, for customers to respond to the uh, threat happening in their environment. And that's all for me. I actually have a lot of news this week, um, so I'm not going to spend much time sort of going over it uh, or giving any sort of commentary, so let's just dive straight in. Uh, the first one is Azure Database for MySQL, Flexible Server. Uh, data encryption now supports customer-managed keys. A lot of customers want to control their own keys. They're required by compliance programs or something, so that's uh, that's always a good thing to see. Uh, next one is, in public preview, is the ability to encrypt managed disks in a cross-tenant using a customer-managed key as well. All right, so actually there's two of them. There's two news articles here. One is the ability to encrypt managed disks, and the other one is to encrypt storage accounts using a key that is in another tenant. So they may think, well, why on earth would you want to do that? The reason you want to do that is because some of our customers have SaaS solutions, uh, software as a service solutions, and they want to be able to have customers in their own tenants, um, which means that you know if someone's managing the key, it may be in a different tenant. So that's why those two, uh, those two scenarios exist. That's really good to see, and that is in public preview. Uh, back to my current team, um, automatic key rotation for transparent data encryption, bring your own key, is now available in preview for Azure SQL Database. Uh, so TDE, transparent data encryption, is uh, sort of volume encryption, and there's a whole key hierarchy that goes on, and at the root of that is a key that's held in Key Vault. And so it's an RSA key held in Key Vault. Well, now you can automatically rotate that based off of you know whatever the policy is. And in fact, that's actually a feature that's built into Key Vault. For those of you not aware, you can, so for example, you can do it with storage accounts uh, today as well. Uh, so that's nice as well. But remember, you are rotating the key encryption keys here. You're not rotating the data encryption keys. 
Back to SQL land, uh, generally available is managed private endpoint support for Synapse SQL output. So data coming out of Synapse, uh, you can now use a managed managed uh, private endpoint on that. Interestingly, the documentation says that setting up is simple. It is a simple two-step operation, which I've yet to see because it's private endpoints. But uh, they say it's a simple setup. So hey, I'll I'll take take their word for it. Next one is you can now authenticate to service bus using managed identities as well. You're going to see more and more of this. I think I've mentioned these a few times across the board. There are big changes happening and have been happening for a few years now in Azure. So, for example, managed identities for client authentication, you know, private endpoints for isolation, and more customer managed keys. So, these are big areas of improvement across the board. And so, this is just another one of those scenarios that's using a managed identity. So, remember, a managed identity is useful for client authentication. While we're still on the topic topic of managed identities, um, you can now use a managed identity to connect to Azure Cache for Redis. Now, what happens here is Azure Cache for Redis has a managed identity and uses that to authenticate to storage. So you can now put permissions on a storage account that say that particular Redis cache or Azure Cache for Redis can actually write or you know whatever the you know whatever policies you want. Um, so again, really nice to see. Uh, one of the beauties of managed identities is you don't have to worry about the credential. It's all handled by Azure Active Directory. And the last one, uh, still managed identities, is back to my uh, my home base, uh, Azure SQL Database. Azure SQL Database now supports user assigned managed identities. So if you're using it, like if you're connecting out from the database out to something, um, you can now use a user assigned managed identity to uh, to you know, restrict access to some to some resource to just that that SQL instance, for example. So that is all the news I have this week. Um, you know, two sort of broad categories: crypto and, uh, and managed identities. That's uh, that's always good to see. So let's turn our attention now to our guest. Uh, this week we have Josh Bregman, who's here to talk to us about. Uh, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. I mean, not just Microsoft Defender for Endpoint, but Microsoft Defender for Endpoint from a sort of a tamper resilience perspective, which I think is an incredibly important topic. So, Josh, thank you so much for joining us this week. Would you like to take a moment and just sort of introduce yourself to our to our listeners? Uh, so, first of all, thanks uh, thanks for having me on the the podcast. So, uh, my name is Josh Bregman. I'm a product manager uh, on the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint team. Been with Microsoft just over a year. But uh, I've got 25 years cybersecurity product experience, um, pretty much done every job in software. I've been a developer, I've been a consultant, I've done pre-sales, sales, um, big companies, small companies. Uh, prior to this, I was chief operating officer of a 40-person network detection and, uh, and response startup, finding anomalies in NetFlow. So uh, kind of all things cyber for a long time and very fortunate to have joined uh, the Endpoint team uh, last year. Um, my focus area is human-operated ransomware and advanced persistent threats. And so within the product portfolio, I'm responsible for a couple of features there, uh, including tamper protection uh, and, uh, and troubleshooting mode. Let's talk a little bit about kind of um, Microsoft Defender for Endpoints and your focus area on it. Can you kind of give us a little bit of an overview of what those are focused on doing and then kind of what your part to play in this? For people who are not aware, you know, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint is Microsoft's endpoint protection platform. It keeps uh, devices endpoints safe from, from bad things happening, from cyber attacks. And if we, we think about it, there's a, it's a, a rich set of capabilities. You know, Mark, some of the stuff that you were talking about with patching, you know, we've got a threat and vulnerability management 
component, which is you know, looking for vulnerabilities, raising them up, prioritizing them, giving uh, people uh, actions to take to help keep their um, environments you know, safe and patched and up to date. Um, it's really a super important problem. I'm glad uh, you talked about it. Um, we should figure out how to, how to solve that together. So that's about lowering the, the risk. Then there's a protection piece to it, which is about attack surface reduction. So it's a set of controls that keep common things from happening. So like application controls, device control, network protection, control folder access, host uh, uh, intrusion prevention, um, locking down office applications, web content filtering. Then there's a next generation protection capability. It's not your um, you know, mother slash father's antivirus. This is like very advanced, very sophisticated machine learning, you know, working um, through complicated algorithms to work both on-prem and the cloud uh, to leverage all of the sort of uh, intelligence that we have to stop threats as we find them on devices. Um, then we get into our detection capabilities or endpoint detection response, uh, robust set of indicators of compromise, um, file and computer response actions, remote shell, lots of data, custom alerting, automatic response actions, and advanced hunting powered by Custo, like, like Gladys said. And then we've got automated investigation and remediation, which is sort of like a security analyst uh, in a box. So it's taking actions as a security analyst to uh, scale your operations, um, investigate threats, and take, and take actions on your behalf. Uh, and last but not least, we've got our Microsoft threat experts who work uh, with you to proactively hunt for anomalies and malicious behavior in your environment. And so all of that is lowering the risk protecting your endpoints and detecting attacks. Um, it's been a, you know, a long history of product on Windows and Windows servers, but we've been making real uh, strides over the last couple of years in cross-platform. So it runs on Mac, Linux, uh, and on your phone. So that's the whole universe very quickly of Microsoft Defender for Endpoint. The thing that I'm focused on is um, on the protection side with a specific focus on stopping uh, advanced persistent threats like human-operated ransomware. And so uh, recently in the latest Microsoft Signals, which was in August, um, it was a call out, was all, it was all about ransomware. Uh, and there's a quote here from Emily Hacker where she says, while ransomware or double extortion can seem uh, you know, an inevitable outcome, ransomware is an avoidable disaster. Reliance on security weaknesses by attacker means that investment in cyber hygiene go a long way. So Mark, once again, there's this idea of how do we keep our self-safe by doing the sort of basics, the unglamorous things. And the call out here is that 80% of ransomware attacks are exploiting uh, configuration errors. So fundamentally, my the, the even though ransomware is an advanced persistent threat and it's very sophisticated, like at the end of the day, the things that keep people safe is getting their configuration right and getting their configuration locked down. And so tamper protection is the key way, key control that we have in Microsoft Defender for Endpoint to keep the configuration safe from attackers. So uh, I'm going to breathe now, but uh, hopefully that answered your question. It does. Um, I'm going to sort of build on that a little bit, but what problem are we solving with tamper protection? Like, like why should specifically anyone who's listening to this turn, turn it on? So at the end of the day, there are settings in Defender, and those settings are configurable, and that gives people a lot of freedom to configure the service the way that we want. But what we realized is that there's a number of these settings 
that, you know, if you really want to have Defender running as your primary antivirus, then um, they should be in a default state and they shouldn't be turned off and they shouldn't be changed. And so what tamper protection does is it ensures that if it's your intention to have the antivirus running, which we believe it is, then these stay in these default settings and they prevent unauthorized users from making changes to those settings. So essentially what it does, it is ensures that uh, an attacker cannot simply turn off or disable Defender and put it in a non-operational state. It does. So what specific features or preventions are you actually trying to mitigate here? Um, so let me just tell you a little story. I think the uh, statute of limitations has run out on this, but I'm not going to name any names. Probably about 20 years ago or so, there was a company who made some antivirus software, and they uh, we were talking to them, and they you know explained how you could never turn this off. Not even admins could turn it off. And um, I said, oh, right. And they said, yeah, you can't. So we've got, you know, we've got cryptographic this and cryptographic that and watchdog the other, blah, 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 blah. So just for grins and giggles, I just went in and I just changed the ACL on, a, on one of the files to everyone deny and then restarted the machine. And uh, yeah, the, the antivirus never, <laughs> never, never started because uh, it couldn't be read by the OS. So yeah. So I mean, you know, what sort of things are you trying to mitigate here? I'm just, I'm just really curious. Did they say that that was not fair? Was that an un- was that an unfair thing that you did there, Michael? Oh, they weren't happy. Let's just leave it at that. Because um, <laughs> they actually spent like years trying to mitigate it, and my you know my attack was just dumber than a bucket of rocks. Right? It wasn't a sophisticated attack at all. I mean, it was as stupid as stupid can be, but it works, and that's what matters. Yeah. Um, so, but it's a hard problem as well, right? It's a really really hard problem. So I'm just interested in sort of the you know, a bit more a bit more detail about what you're trying to protect against. First thing I would say is you know one of the great things about working at Microsoft is that you know. You get to work with incredibly talented people. And so there's an army of security researchers who um, are every day putting enhancements into, you know, solve, you know solving this problem. Um, you know, they're doing the things that you would expect security researchers to do to sort of track the latest techniques and look at the data and, and things like that. And so um, it, is a, it is a very hard yet um, important problem. Um, and we see that um, when the tamper protection feature is on. It has a measurable impact in the overall effectiveness in keeping people safe from ransomware attacks. So just to be clear, if you uh, turn tamper, if tamper protection is not on, it is incredibly trivial to do, and maybe this is what you're sort of asking, simply uh, take Defender and turn off real-time protection or you know, turn off our behavioral monitoring or disable our antivirus protection for, you know, for office or the cloud delivered protection, right? Like we talked about this is a very sophisticated uh, system that uses the cloud or removing security intelligence updates or hiding some of the uh, UX prompts that someone would see when an attacker is there or um, disabling scanning of network archives. So there's a, there's a list of things that bad guys do that more or less uh, make the antivirus part of the platform ineffective. And by having tamper protection on, it prevents those things from accessing those registry settings and changing them from non-default values, which has the impact of, of making the antivirus product significantly less effective. So, Josh, we all often want to make the work of configuring um, computers and endpoints um, 
better. And uh, we provide, uh, as, as you mentioned, registries. We provide GPOs. Uh, uh, Intune has co configurations uh, in order to tweak uh, the configuration of different products, including uh, Defender for Endpoint. So what happened with this uh, type of features now that you are enabling tamper protection? It's a, it's a really it's a really good question, uh, Gladys. And so the tamper protection is, you know, it is a security feature. It is an essential security feature. It's critical that it's um, on for safety. And so when the feature was rolled out, the decision was made to um, for for some set of registry settings, the ones that are local uh, to actually block. So when tamper protection is on and you attempt to, you know, let's say disable real-time protection, you will, you will get an error. But for, for things like the same setting, but making a change via GPO or making a change via Microsoft Endpoint Manager or one of the mobile device management platforms, the decision was made to, um, to basically allow the call to return to keep those things compatible, uh, but then under the covers for the setting not to be changed from uh, the default. And so this is um, some of the challenges in building a product like this and some of the choice that we have to make. Um, more and more, we're becoming more transparent about exactly the features that uh, in the registry are protected. And we're working to update the documentation so it's clearer about how tamper protection works in these managed scenarios. Because at the end of the day, what you're really trying to do is you're trying to ensure that only authorized changes are made to these critical settings. And so um, we continue to work with our partners in uh, Intune uh, and other, uh, other management channels to make sure that they get uh, an improved management um, experience. That having been said, the types of settings that we're protecting, we don't think there's a lot of good reasons for people to be changing them. I mean, probably the one exceptional use case there is uh, a troubleshooting, uh, a troubleshooting scenario, right? So, antivirus for a long has been uh, around in the market for a long time, and there's a number of vendor products that say, uh, "Hey, if you're having any sort of problems with performance in our product, why don't you just turn off the uh, antivirus?" It's it's a it's reflexive. It's in their documentation, and so it's not uncommon. Uh, in these lockdown environments for IT operators to make requests to say, look, I got to, even though this is locked down, I have tamper protection turned on. I really need to, uh, I got to turn real-time protection off. I have to fundamentally disable the antivirus. And so that is uh, one thing which has been hard to do in a lockdown environment. And so we recently, it's another feature that I'm responsible for. We recently GA'd a feature called troubleshooting mode. And what troubleshooting mode does is uh, an administrator from the Microsoft Defender for Endpoint portal can put a device in what's called troubleshooting mode. And so what troubleshooting mode does is it allows um, temporarily for an administrator to, a local administrator to be able to turn off tamper protection and then allows them to, you know, turn off like real-time protection so that they could troubleshoot potentially performance issue which you know, 99 times out of 100 actually isn't with Defender for Endpoint, but it's just the sort of standard operating procedure and the way that people have sort of talk about diagnosing these problems. So uh, the management complexity, you know, as hard as it is 
to get tamper protection, to protect things. You also really do have to consider the use case in these enterprise scenarios about manageability so that people can have both the sort of security of these things being turned on, but be able to actually run their businesses day to day. Yeah, there's there's a part of me that wants to laugh because the other one I always see is, what do you need to install this, domain admin? No, <laughs> what do you actually need to install this? <laughs> wouldn't it, wouldn't that, it'd just be easier. Like, that would just be easier. So, yeah. I mean, the other one that's related there, Mark, is like the exclusions as well. I mean, we could yep. probably do a whole, right? Because it's just like, hey, if you just exclude, you know, everything, then yeah, the antivirus won't get in the way. And I mean, that's probably another thing that as an industry, we need to, we need to really go figure out Agreed. Um, is, how do we, is how do we think about these exclusions in a way that are more sensible, you know, wide open exclusions, uh, antivirus exclusions are, ba- are effectively blind spots. Uh, that customers can figure. So, I mean, one of the things that we're working on here is, you know, extending out tamper protection to exclusions to keep those sort of locked down um, for that very reason. But um, yeah, but that's the, it, it is a sort of endemic problem. Um, and I don't think really based in fact anymore, uh, you know, Michael has been talking about, you know, an antivirus from two decades ago. And I think there was a period of time where you know, this software really um, early days and... Um, yeah, before all the APIs and Windows and whatnot, it was a very different world of random hooks and stuff like that. But we're, yeah. we're way past that now. Totally. So if you're if you're a vendor and you're listening, think about your exclusions. Yeah, and, and please update your docs. And update your docs and don't require domain admin. So the, the, one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, you know, so where are we today? Like, what is the current state and how does it behave sort of in existing situations and in, and in new installs? How does that work? So tamper protection as a feature has been on by default and on for everyone uh, in the consumer space for, I would say, years. We recently, I think it was about nine months ago, made the decision just based upon what we were seeing and and the threat landscape to have tamper protection on by default for new enterprise customers. And we're now getting to the point, hopefully by the time this podcast airs, we'll be in public preview, is we're now getting to the point where for existing enterprise customers, if they haven't taken or haven't turned it on, which again, it seems like there wouldn't be that many of them. There's a lot of customers who actually, given this setting, have actually expressed no admin intent. We have no view of whether they want it on or off, that we are going to be turning it on for them. You know, they'll be notified, notified through the message center, notified in product, but we're taking more of, I guess I would call it a sort of trusted advisor perspective here, which is to say, listen, this setting is really important and you didn't know it was there. You didn't know it was important. You didn't get to it. Like, that's fine. 30 days from now, it's going to go on. Uh, and then that way you're going to be a lot safer from, from ransomware going forward. Just the data is clear. When we look at the postmortems, you know, having this tamper protection setting on is so important to keeping people safe. And for customers who haven't expressed the, a preference, we're going to be working to turn it on on their behalf unless they opt out. Um, so it's a balancing act there in between sort of honoring admin intent, but it is just clear to us that without having tamper protection on, that customers are at, at dramatically increased risk from these attacks. And we think that as a you know, key provider for them and as a trusted partner, that we need to do as much as we can to help keep them safe. 
Just one question for me. Isn't the troubleshooting mode potentially an avenue for uh, attackers to abuse? <laughs> All these things that we do, you know, are, are do present an opportunity. And so the initial release of the feature, we've been very sort of conservative in our, um, um, in our approach. So the first thing is there are limits in who can turn it on. There are limits uh, in how long it can be turned on, both for an individual instance and for 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 a, for a given day, because we really don't want this to uh, to to be abused. So I think that we, the team has spent a lot of time in sort of engineering it. Um, so we feel you know good about the fundamental security about it. But then beyond the sort of underlying mechanism, we've been very sort of cautious in the way in which we've um, which we've rolled it out, and we continue to sort of talk to customers and make sure. Um, that everything is sort of audited and that people feel good about the controls we put into place and so that it doesn't actually get, um, get abused. But, you know, it's certainly something that we're aware of and thinking about kind of top of mind as we design the feature and roll it out going forward. All right, well, let's, um, let's start to bring this episode uh, to a close. So, Josh, one question we always ask our guests is if you had just one final thought to leave our listeners with, uh, what would it be? Tamper protection, turn it on. Is that it? That's it. Fair enough. That would have to go. That would probably have to be the shortest uh, go do ever, I think. But hey, congratulations. Thank you, Josh, for joining us this week. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, I know that you know, you're incredibly busy. Um, so, again, thank you so much for joining us this week. And to all our listeners out there, thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Azure Security Podcast. You can find show notes and other resources at our website, azsecuritypodcast.net. If you have any questions, please find us on Twitter at Azure SecPod. Background music is from ccmixter.com and licensed under the Creative Commons license.